Good morning, Victory. How are y'all doing? Want to make sure I am on. Great to be back home. You know, the Bible talks about, in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, it says that David, as, of course, the potential king, the future king, it says David was good to look at, which means there are some people that are not good to look at. Y'all are good-looking church. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, you know what? You're better looking than you think you are. Come on, go tell them. And then, and then really make somebody's day. Turn to the other person and say, have you lost weight? You've lost. You've lost. That always does everybody good. Of course, it's been a couple of years since I have been back. My wife, Lori, is with me today. Lori, will you please stand? Of... Um, 31 years we've been married. I came to church this morning all fired up, and I walked in with a mask like I'm supposed to for the first service, but I was wearing this mask, this LSU mask, and they told me, you cannot preach in this church. There's a few of our rebellious people. God bless you, sister. We'll talk to you after. And uh, quick picture of our kids, of course. This is our family, and um, 31 years of life. Our oldest son... Um, to, to our left, and then Lori, and then me, then, then Connor. So Jackson's 21, and then Connor is 25. Then Caroline is our daughter-in-law and uh, married to Mason. They live in Washington, D.C. Mason is our oldest. He is 29. I cried for Mason and Connor when they went to college. Mason went to LSU. Connor went to Mississippi State. He and Dak Prescott are best friends. He coached Dak at Mississippi State. And then Jackson, he's 21. He's been gone since the eighth grade. How many have kids like that? Like, we don't even know if he's left yet. We don't even know where he is. Uh, the last we heard, he's in Auburn and uh, never cried a tear. I mean, honestly, I don't even know if he's still our kid. And uh, just want to say that as, as we are here today, it is an honor to be with your pastors. How many are thankful for Summer and for Johnson? In that order, in that order, and uh, we've become dear friends, and of course, we've been longtime friends with the founding pastors, Dennis and Colleen. Great to have y'all. You guys are in a blessed church, and the Bible tells us very clearly in the last days, church is going to be where it's at. You're going to need in the last days, the Bible says, the drawing together even the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing closer and closer. And how many know? We don't know when he's coming, but we do know he's closer than he was yesterday. And so we are in need of some good fellowship, especially in the days that we've all been living through and living in, and who knows what the future holds. But I just want to say thank you for, for having me back. And one of the reasons also Pastor Johnson wanted me to come and just talk a little bit about the book. I'll sign books after the service. I wrote a book called Confronting Compromise. And one of the, the features of this book really kind of deals with stories like Daniel, who was told he couldn't pray. He was not allowed to pray anymore in the name of the Lord. Well, what did Daniel do? He prayed anyway. He, he just did not concern himself with what they had to say or whatever law was passed concerning prayer and how he couldn't pray, but in the name of the king. And he just went up to his room and the Bible says he opened the windows as he always did. And he confronted the compromise. 
Not just, not just culture. Really, it's about confronting the compromise that is in all of our lives. Every one of us has to deal with things in our lives, much like this series. In fact, I asked if I could come during the series because I love this idea and the concept that we do not have a calling on our life to continue to run in circles. God is not the God who calls us to just run in circles. And, and a lot of Christians, honestly, they do run in circles. That's why Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, Philippians chapter three. He says, but I press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He's not talking about salvation. Two thirds of the New Testament was not written for your salvation. It was not to instruct us in eternal life. It was instructing us in our purpose that God has for us. It's being conformed into his image, into his likeness. So Paul says it's, it's being what God has called us to be, which means we're not called to run in circles and continue to repeat patterns. And of course, this series that your pastors have been dealing with, of course, in week one, as Johnson was talking about dropping our water buckets and, and letting that go. And that's what this well is about. I met many people after the first service who are here for the first time since the service or the series began. And really, that's the theme is that we are no longer to just continue to live in a dysfunctional cycle of just problems and issues. It reminds me, having lived in South Louisiana, of uh, a Boudreaux-Thibodeau joke. How many know who Boudreaux and Thibodeau are from South Louisiana? One girl from South Louisiana. Boudreaux and Thibodeau are Cajuns, and we have these jokes about these Cajun people. And having lived there for 20 years, it reminds me, because this, this really is a, a truth about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. A lot of people don't know they're the ones that that left Louisiana, and the, they were the first ones to go for the gold rush back in the 1800s. So Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they built a covered wagon. And Thibodeau was in the back of the covered wagon. His job was to make the gumbo and the roux and all the things, crawfish boil. He was doing all of that in the back of the covered wagon. Boudreaux, he was driving the covered wagon. And so they leave Louisiana, and as they're driving, they're coming across Texas, and finally they're starting to come into New Mexico. And all of a sudden, Thibodeau's in the back of the covered wagon. He said, Boudreaux, man, we got some problems? Yeah. Boudreaux said, what's the problem? He said, they look like they some bad guys coming up from behind us. They want to kill us. He says, Thibodeau, how big are they? He said, they about that tall. He says, well, let me know when they get bigger. So a couple hours go by. And all of a sudden, Thibodeau hollers at Boudreaux. He said, Boudreaux. He said, what is it, Thibodeau? Are you finished with that crawfish yet? He said, no, but they back. He says, how big are they now? He said, oh, they're about that tall. He said, let me know when they get bigger. A couple hours go by. All of a sudden, Thibodeau hollered, Boudreaux. He said, Thibodeau, what is it? You better have that food ready. He said, no, and my food ain't ready. He said, but they back. He said, how big are they now? He said, they as big as me and you. Boudreaux said, chew them. Chew them. You got to chew them now. They're going to chew us. Thibodeau said, I can't chew them. He said, why? He says, because I've known them since they were that tall. <laughs> Pastor Joe, what does that have to do with his message? There's some things we don't want to shoot because they've been in our lives since they were that tall. That woman at the well, as we know, just continued to run in circles with her water bucket because that was just part of her life. A lot of you live a continual circle of problems and dysfunction and drama 
Somebody was saying, do you watch, do you watch drama shows? I said, yeah, I love Housewives of Atlanta. That's one of my favorite shows. Oh, I name them all. Listen, don't, don't. I'm telling my secrets. See, the reality is, let me pull this back into some godly atmosphere. The reality is, is that we, we do become normalized by our repeated patterns. And it's hard sometimes to let go of those patterns that have been a part of our lives for so long. The woman at that well with her water bucket, Jesus said, I cannot give you what I have for you unless you drop your bucket. She dropped her bucket. And of course, she would experience a change and a life that would forever mark her as the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest evangelist in the Bible. The greatest evangelist we've ever known. The Bible says the whole city came to Christ. And I will tell you that there are people in this room that walked in here today. You're living in your water bucket. You're living by the spoonful compared to what God really has, and that is a well full. And you know what? If you'll drop it today, if you'll chew it, I promise you, God will give you a good bowl of spiritual gumbo today and will change your life forever and ever. And so all that to be said, I'll be signing books after the service, and, and I'm not a book salesman, but, but Pastor Johnson did ask me. He goes, hey, just let them know about, about your book. I grew up in Atlanta. I went to Dunwoody High School. I grew up in the Tree Rollins, Atlanta. Come on, where are my old people at? That, see, okay, one person knows back in the Grits Blitz years. My dad was the defensive line and coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons during the Grits Blitz years. Atlanta, Fulton County, Atlanta. That's the Atlanta I grew up in. I came to Christ when I was 14. The first time I ever prayed was a prayer that I was led to Christ by two football players, Greg Brezina and Ralph Ortega. They were linebackers for the Falcons at Furman University during training camp in 1978 when Steve Bartkowski was the Falcon quarterback. And I have great memories of Atlanta. And, and honestly, when, I'm finished, when God is finished with Austin with me and Lori, I'm moving to Atlanta and I'm gonna join Johnson and Summer's team. And I will be the Cajun joke teller. That's all I want to do. Every week I'll come up. He'll give a scripture. He'll give an amazing thought. And then I will give you a Cajun joke. Come on, say, chew them. Amen. You know, I love the thought about this song. In fact, at the end of our, at the end of our time together, I'm going to conclude with communion. We're, we're going to wrap up. In fact, the altar call this morning is going to be around communion. And we will have those elements in just a moment. But I love the idea of this song that we're going to sing again, and that is Run to the Father. And as Johnson was sharing about maybe, maybe you didn't have a, a good earthly father, but we all have a wonderful heavenly father. And the thing that Jesus said he came to bring us, he said, Father, I have revealed your name to them. What is the name? What is the name that he revealed to you and to me? What is it? And a lot of us don't really know that name. Listen, here it is. It's real simple. Father. That's the name. God's people have never known the term father. Old Testament was not something that they could call God as their father. You didn't know him as father. You knew him as king. You knew him as judge. You knew him as ruler. You knew him as awesome. You also knew him to be fearful. In fact, when he would speak, they would beg him not to speak anymore. Even the Bible says the animals would die in his presence. Even the Israelites would say to Moses, you go up and talk to him. He's mad today. 
He really wasn't mad. He just wasn't veiled. And when Christ comes, he is now revealing in that veiling of his flesh the term, but the but greater than that, it's not just a term that he came to bring us. He came to, us to manifest Father to us so that we could approach him, so that we could know him. Had Christ revealed who he really was, of course, he's God in flesh. Had he, had he just unbuttoned one of his buttons, he would have killed us all. But he came to show us how great the Father is. I was not raised in a spiritual home. I was not raised in church. The first time I ever heard the gospel was 14 years of age, as I said earlier. But I was raised with a father. Until the day he died, he said, you have to kiss me every night before you go to bed. At 23 years of age, I had to kiss my daddy. He said, if you are ever too big to give me a kiss before you go to bed, Santa Claus is too big to come to this house. <laughs> oh, I kissed him. I kissed him like crazy. As dysfunctional as my home was, my father made sure that there was this physical connection and this, if you will, relationship through a kiss and even, even through touching and even through verbal affirmation. And I will be honest with you, I, I stand here today only because of, I, because of my father who said earthly to me on, in, 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 over time, he would say, Joe, you have an, a great ability to communicate at 12 years old. So when I stand up here today, I stand up here under the power and the authority of a father. But again, as it was said to you earlier, maybe you never had it. Maybe you never knew him. Maybe you don't want to have what he had. I am here to tell you, there is a heavenly father that wants to reveal himself to you. And he wants to do something great in your life today. I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. If you can't find 2 Kings, go to 1 Kings and then just go to your 2 Kings. Your kings should be together, okay? 2 Kings chapter 13. This picture that we're picking up, this story that we're picking up today is the story, really, of a time in which Israel is running in circles. The history of God's people was God came down and Moses, of course, revealed himself as the deliverer and Moses comes down and he said, the Lord has sent me to get you out of Egypt and to bring you where? Into the what land? The promised land. And Israel, of course, even in that journey, and even in those 40 years, they took what was a two-week journey and turned it into 40 years. They literally started running in circles. Deuteronomy, the first chapter, first verses of that whole book was about you've run in circles long enough. Israel, how long are you going to keep going around this mountain? How long are you going to keep just circling? How long are you going to keep in this, if you, if you will, this wash cycle of, of dysfunction? It's time to move on. It's time to go forward. That's what Paul was referencing when he was saying, I'm not going to continue to walk in circles. I'm going to press on. I'm going to move forward, forgetting what lies behind. I'm going to go on to the high calling that God has for me. But Israel would not continue in that journey. In fact, they would go backwards. They were always saying, you know what? I want to go back to Egypt. At least we had onions and garlic. Everything that they would quote was everything that would make them smell bad. And anything that the devil offers you always is bad. Anything that the devil offers you is something that is never for your good. Never forget, like the Puritans used to say, that Satan himself, he is a great fisherman. He has perverted the illustration of fishermen, but he is a fisherman. And he knows what you want in that bait. And he will put out a hook. But behind that, behind that bait is a hook. 
that is going to try to rip you out of your calling and out of your purpose and out of what God has for you, out of your destiny. And Israel would fall back into it over and over and over. As I said, 40 years of just going back and forth and back and forth. And then, of course, we can read about the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is God sending a deliverer, sending a judge, and they would repent. And God would open up the heavens, and, and they would begin to walk with the Lord as they had a righteous judge. And then that judge would die, and then Israel would go backwards. And they'd go right back into this circle of life that was just, not life, but it was frankly death. Now we pick up the story in 2 Kings. Israel, again, is just continuing in this pattern of just circles, running in circles. And the king, the Bible says his name is Joash, the king of Israel, needs to have a miracle. He needs to have a breakthrough. He needs to have something happen. He's leading God's people. He's leading Israel. And he, frankly, is in desperate need of a move of God. How many need God to move in your life? And so he, he's heard about this prophet, Elisha. He heard about this prophet, Elisha, who was the son, if you will, the spiritual son of Elijah. And so there's a Jah and there's a Shah. And so he'd heard that Elijah gave his mantle or his anointing or his power or his succession to Elisha. And he had heard the story that when Elisha received a double portion of the spirit of Elijah, he had heard that it happened when he cried out, my father, my father. Well, this King Joash, who's frankly not that deep in the things of God, is what happens to a lot of us that are not very deep or very, if you will, very close to the heart of the Lord. They begin to walk and you might begin to walk by formula. So he shows up and he hears that Elisha is in his last days. In fact, as soon as I'm finished with the service today, I'm going to get on a plane and fly to Vancouver and go be with my pastor who has been diagnosed with cancer throughout his whole body. And he literally has days to live. And he now hears that Elisha is at Northside Hospital and they are about to pull him off of life support. So he, watched this, so when Elisha became sick in verse 14, with the illness with which he was going to die, something is going to take you out. Joash, the king of Israel, he comes to his hospital room and he begins to weep. He begins to just cry. And of course, he's really not crying over Elisha. He's really crying because he needs the power of Elisha and as he's crying, and I think, though, it's more about this fake kind of cry. You ever been around people that fake cry? <laughs> Remember when Jesus walked in, they're like, oh, he said, shut up. And they all stopped crying, and they all attacked Jesus. They went from tears to knives. Do you know some people like that? Oh, anybody watching me? And so he's crying, he's fake crying. And then he says these words, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. What is he doing? He's applying the same words that Elisha said when he got the mantle or the power or the breakthrough or the victory. And so he goes, oh, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen. Formula. He's trying to get God to answer him, but it's not out of position. It's not out of relationship. It's not out of a heart. It's just out of routine. And watch what the Bible tells us. As he says these words, my father, my father, the chariot and his horsemen. Elisha, 
He doesn't say anything. In fact, he says to him, I want you to go get a bow and I want you to go get some arrows. Go to Bass Pro Outlet and I want you to go get some equipment. And so he finds a bow and he found some arrows. At the hospital, I don't know where that was, but he found some bows and he found an arrow. And he said to the king of Israel, Elisha, remember, he's in this last, if you will, scene of his life. He's in an ICU unit. He's hooked up to breathe. He's got breathing machines. He's got ventilator machines. He's got a pacemaker. And he says to him, he says to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha laid his hand on the king's hand. And then he said, open the window towards the east. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, there it is, shoot. And he shot. It's all in the Bible. Cajuns are all in the Bible. And he shot it. And then he said, he declared, he labeled that arrow. He said, this is the arrow of victory. What you just touched and what you just shot out that window, what you just was now connected to was the arrow of victory over your enemies, over your water bucket, over your past, over that potential situation that wants to come back into your life. That, that habit that you once broke, it now wants to come back seven times worse than it was in the beginning. That which is wanting to destroy you and to kill you. As we know, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, you have the victory. In fact, you just declared it. You just shot it. And now you can defeat the Arameans until you have what? Until you have destroyed them. In other words, notice what he said. You don't just defeat them. You defeat them to destroy them. How many are thankful for a Christ that he came down to not just defeat the enemy, but to destroy the enemy? Now watch what happened. He says, now take these arrows, and he took them. He had a few more, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Now, we don't know if he took one arrow or all three or however many he had and hit it with his hand or if he began to just shoot them into the ground, but he was told to take the arrows and now touch the ground, and he did it, and he did it three times. Now, watch this, and as soon as he stopped, Elisha became angry. All of a sudden, Elisha unhooks himself from every cord and every kind of tube. And this dying prophet has more life in him than a living king. He comes out and he says, why did you stop? You should have struck five or six times. Why did you compromise? Why didn't you go all the way? Watch this. Why did you only go 3% or 30%? You should have taken it all the way to the end. You should have done it at least five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you will only hit him or strike him or win three times over him. Jesus said the sower goes out to sow. And when the seed is sown, it comes back. And it comes back in three ways. Some 30, some 60, and what? Some 100. Listen. Some people are happy being 30 folders. There are some people, you're in the house, you're in the fold, you're in the kingdom, you love the Lord, his hand is on you, you know him as father, but you're operating at 30%. And then there are some people that you don't want to be in the 30, you want to be in that 60 fold. 
In other words, we're better than average. We're better than the 30. We don't just come to a service, we'll serve and we'll come to a service. In other words, there are just some people that will just say, you know what, going to church, that's all I really need. I'll just do my thing. I don't want to meet anybody. And then there are some people that say, you know what, I'll just take it another level. I will serve, I will sit, I will worship, and I will serve, I'll get involved. And then you've got the hundredfolders. I don't know about you, but when I got my life right with God, when I realized that he went all the way for me, how could I operate at 30-fold? I think what Elijah does in that moment, he comes out of that bed. And I think he looks at him and he goes, how dare you take what God gave you and what it cost me to get this anointing. You show up trying to think it's going to work and you just say your formulas and you just go through your verses and you do your many words. But Jesus said, you're not heard by your many words when you pray. You can pray over and over and you can begin to take our Father who art in heaven. We did this at every football game when I played at LSU. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy earth on earth in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Amen, yea, God. Go kick the We weren't praying. We were formalizing. We were like, oh, God, help us. LSU doesn't get any more help. We're under judgment. Watch this. What about you? You see, are you living at a 30% level when you could be living at a 100% level? And I think what Elisha says to us is something that actually is God saying to us. How can you live with a partial victory when God did what he did on that cross for you and for me? He gave us victory. He put in your hand when you said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. He didn't give you a formula. He gave you his power. He gave you his life. He didn't just give us a victory. In fact, let me give you what I find out of this story. I find out of this story a pattern. In fact, he gives us patterns of how to break those circles, how to quit running in circles. And I just entitled it, Running in Circles Ends When We Stand Number One on God's Promises. He gave him a promise. You have victory in that arrow. Now watch what Peter says. Peter says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us, what? Partially, that which we need in life and godliness. Does it say that? He's granted to us by his power everything. Come on, say the word everything. Everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. To life and godliness, to that which applies to life, this life, and the mystery of godliness. The Bible calls it the mystery of godliness. Godliness is a mystery. It's not something that you can legislate. Can I hear an amen? It's not something that comes by way of you taking 64 things that you'll no longer do anymore. Because you can do those no longer those 64 things and be the most ungodly person in the world because of your criticalness and because of your judgmentalism. It's the mystery of godliness. God has given us everything that we need through the what? Through the true knowledge. Notice, where does true power come from? The knowledge, the true knowledge. In other words, not all knowledge is true. There's a difference between false and true knowledge. 
of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his, what? Now watch this, when it comes to promises. He's granted to us his precious and what? Magnificent promises. They're not just promises. They're not just average promises. These are not just average. In fact, the Bible doesn't call salvation an average thing. It doesn't, in fact, it says so great a salvation. How can you neglect it? Guys, you were not a 30-folder when it came to your drinking parties. You were really good. I was that guy. When I was at LSU, before I got saved, my junior year, when I really got called and I really got right with God, my junior year at LSU, I was on my way to heaven from the time I was 14 until the time I was 23. At 23, I really got converted to my calling and to my purpose. I went from being the team party captain to the team chaplain. I was the guy with the pumpkin on his head at Halloween after the Halloween party. I never looked better. I'll just be honest with you. That's how Lori fell in love with me. But I was really good at sinning. I was really good at living for the devil. I was really good at being on a road to hell. How could I not be really good at walking in the knowledge of God's promises? How could I, how could I, how could I, I didn't have, I didn't, I never said it's hard to party every night. I never said that. I can't believe the commitment that these parties are wanting me to have. Never. And then we get saved. It's like, oh, gotta go to church. Might have to wear a mask. They ask us to serve, and then they want some of our money. Listen, when I was broke, I was buying people drinks like crazy. It just wasn't that much money, but the reality is, I was standing more on the promises of the devil. I had more faith in what the devil could do for me than when I got saved and what God could do for me. And what he was saying, this is why Elisha pops out of that bed. He goes, what? You were just given victory. You were just given power. You were just giving life and the power to godliness. And your Aramean enemies cannot stand in your presence. And you, you don't take the promises of God. In fact, you take it and you just kind of, one, two, three. (laughs) I'm tired. And that's why he pops out of bed. Because what? I want you to think about this. What did Christ do for you when he came out of that grave with power? That's why the Bible would tell us these that went from being a bunch of scaredy cats. And he appeared to 500 people. Watch this. He went to 500 at Bethany. And he told them. He said, go to the upper room. How many went to the upper room? 120. Where did the 380 go? It's hard. They went to the mall. As soon as Jesus left, instead of going to the upper room like the 120, 380 did not take it as a promise that God was going to show up because he had promised them. I can promise you something today. What he has said he's going to do for you, he's going to do it. I promise you, you got a lost son and daughter. I, pro- I, I promise you he's going to save them. Number two, 
The running in circles ends when we hold another's hand. Notice what he said. He goes, put your hand on the bow, put your hand on the arrows. And then it says, Elisha puts his hand on top of the hand of Joash. Whose hand are you holding? You can't do this alone. You can't make it by yourself. God has ordained that we walk in fellowship, not just with him, but with one another. You are not just baptized. When you're water baptized, you're not just baptized into Christ. You're baptized into people. You're baptized into the body. The loaf that we're about to break and the loaf that represents the breaking of his body and the breaking of his life, that is not just him. It's, it's us. Who do you have that is holding your hand? Who is it that can come alongside and give you perspective? The day you think you can do this by yourself, we call that by you self Christianity. You better not be on that bayou in Louisiana. There's some swamp people down there. I'm just telling you. They will eat you alive. I live there. Some of you are trying to do it by yourself. And Elisha says, you can't do this by yourself. You and I need, in fact, the Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak to you in your shame. Notice what he's saying. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And then he says, and then he says, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. In other words, who you hold hands with is either going to give you a life that gives a hunger and a thirst for God, or it's going to give you a hunger and a thirst for this world. But you got to hold somebody's hands. Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out. And you know why he said Lazarus. He didn't want everybody out of that grave. He just needed one. And when he comes out of that grave, then the next thing, Jesus, who calls him out of death into life, doesn't release him from the grave clothes that are on his head and his hands and his feet. He turns to the partner standing there and goes, now y'all do the rest of it. See, the same God who raises you from the dead doesn't deliver you completely except by relationships. He does it on purpose. Because he wants his body to be together. Number three, running in circles ends when we open our windows. Come on, open our windows. Say that with me. Open our windows. Open your window. Let some fresh air in. The reason why we operate at 30 and the reason why we operate at 60, the reason why I think Elisha pops out of that bed and he is so fired up on this guy. I mean, he manifests on him. Is he goes, you haven't opened, you don't know what God has prepared for you. You have no clue the big world that God wants to stick you in. I want to say to some of you, because you didn't have a father that said this to you, you were called to change this world. And some of you, you've closed the blinds. You have closed off people, but you've closed yourself when it comes to vision from the vision that God has. I think COVID has put a lot of us in dark spaces and dark rooms. And we've no longer opened up the, even the spiritual understanding of our eyes to what God has. What does God want to do with you? I can promise you he's not done with you. He says, you're going to have to open up your windows. Paul says this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. He says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide, but you are restrained, not because of us, but because of your own affections. You've chosen to live in a small world. 
Paul was saying, I am always ready to impart to you my life, my power. God is always ready to give you life and power. But if you're not receiving this power, he goes, it's not because of God, it's you. You've walked into the room like this. How many know when people come close to you like this, you don't get close to? And what he was looking at with a Corinthian church, it was like this when Paul came around. They're like, anyone know? I'm not against Christ's arm. I mean, my buddy, my brother, I love you. But the reality is, is that sometimes our eyes are not open. Our hearts are not open to receive more than what God has for us. Next is our running in circles ends when we apply what we know. He told him, shoot or to strike the ground. Let me tell you, you can't break the curse of that ongoing, never-ending cycle or circle of dysfunction until James says it very clearly. Prove yourself to be a doer of the word and not what? Not merely a hearer of the word. Who delude or they are delusional. I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Are you doing his will? Well, that's another story. I do what I want to do. I say what I want to say. I go where I want to go. And the Lord helps me. Listen, he doesn't follow you. You're to follow him. We, we, we've twisted this thing around. Jesus said, you follow me. But we've turned this thing around and we've said, Lord, you come and help me. Come be with me. Lord said, no, 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 sorry. Hundred folders don't think like that. Hundred folders don't live in that mindset. They're doers of the word. What he wanted was the action, not just a formula. And then lastly, as we prepare, I'm going to ask Carl and the worship team to come. Running in circles ends when we refuse to quit. He stopped. He quit. Let me ask you a question. In fact, let me say this statement. It's always too early to quit. It's always too soon to quit. I quit. I'll never forget. In fact, my right knee. I had three surgeries on this right knee, football injury, and um, I quit. I went to the uh, doctor to get my physical to play that last year of LSU. And the physical therapist and the doctors and the team said, we're not going to let you play. And I quit. I had a friend of mine, Daryl Day, who's still in my life to this very day. I did not know, but he had heard that I was extremely discouraged. And he went to my dorm room at Broussard Hall at LSU. And he wrote on a piece of athletic tape, about an inch wide, that white athletic tape, Joe Champion can still be a champion. And that Rocky Bell went off again. Somebody spoke to me, don't quit. Take this from a word of God and from someone that's standing here today. Maybe tomorrow you want to quit your job. Maybe tomorrow you want to quit that that marriage. Maybe tomorrow, maybe, maybe today you're thinking about having that discussion. And Elisha comes out and he goes, no! Strike that ground again. Declare that promise one more time. 